I want to commend um, the work that is being done on um, having readers read uh, to bring a little bit more of the normalcy and tradition back to our worship. So if you would like to join the readers and offer a reading of the scripture, please let Mary know so that she can receive your recording. Last week we continued our series on uh, living your life from baptism into discipleship. And last week we focused on the words come and see because that's what Jesus said to a couple of the disciples that he had called. That's what Philip said to his friend Bartholomew about Jesus. But today we have a little bit of a different slant on it. And so the words that I want to focus on today are come and do. Living your life from baptism into discipleship, come and do. Come and do what Jesus is doing. Come and be like Jesus. Well, today's story begins with a crisis. So much for normalcy, right? John the Baptist has been arrested. This arrest will lead eventually to John's death by beheading. John is not guilty of anything other than following God, preaching the Word of God, and baptizing people in the name of God for the repentance of their sins. That has been John's life. It has been his calling. And yet, Herod's second wife, Herodias, wanted John dead. Why? Well, the Scripture tells us that she wanted him dead because he had spoken out against their relationship. She had formerly been married to Herod's brother when they had this affair this relationship began, and now they have been married, but it is a second marriage for both of them, and John the Baptist has not been easy on Herod or Herodias for their affair. And so he has spoken out against their marriage, and Herodias wants to get revenge. She wants John the Baptist, dead. Herod was actually Herod Antipas. His father was Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the king of all of Judea when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And it was shortly after Jesus' birth, within a year or two, that King Herod died. And so when he died, his kingdom was divided into four sections and distributed to his sons. And so Herod Antipas is one of the sons, and he is tetrarch, meaning a ruler of the quad, one of the four quadrants. He is tetrarch of the region of Galilee. Now Josephus tells us a little bit different story. Josephus is a Jewish historian from the time of Jesus. And he says that, that Herod wanted to kill John the Baptist himself because he saw 
the influence that John was gaining from his preaching and from his lifestyle. He saw the influence, and he was jealous. He didn't want John to start leading a rebellion, so he had John killed, according to Josephus. In any case, John is beheaded, and this is not right. This is an injustice. This was a distant cousin of Jesus's. This was a friend, perhaps, of Jesus. This is one who had guided people to Jesus. Jesus looked upon John as a brother in the faith. And so when he heard about John's arrest, he was most likely very upset. When he heard the news that they were going to try to kill John, he was probably very angry. I mean, Jesus is human. But Jesus didn't go after revenge. Jesus may be emotionally distraught over this, but what does he do? Does he plot an attack against Herod? Does he start speaking out against Herodias? What does he do? He does what he was called to do. He begins his ministry. He begins to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near, that it is now coming, it is at hand. You can taste it. You can see it. Come and see. Now, come and do. When your life is not going the way that you think it should be going, when your world seems to be turning upside down, when you are injured, when someone creates distress in your life, when you want revenge, when you seek vengeance, what should you do? Well, you can decide for yourselves. But what the Scripture shows us is what Jesus did. And if we want to be like Jesus, he calls us to come and do. Instead of vengeance, Jesus calls us to do ministry, to do the things which God has gifted us to do, called us to do. So his disciples are called, just like you and I are called. We are all called to follow so what was Jesus' message? Jesus' message here in today's gospel is very brief, but very powerful. This is what he says. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's the message. The kingdom of God is at hand. So receive this kingdom. It is yours. Receive it through repentance, repenting of your old way of life, turning to a new way of life, and believing in Jesus, and believing in all that Jesus has created you to be and to do. 
The kingdom of God is near. There's a powerful story of repentance in the book of Jonah. It says that then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Let's take a look at this book here, Jonah chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Got up, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, he says, God says to Jonah, and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. This time, Jonah obeyed God's command. Well, you know the story, right? He ran from God the first time, jumped a ship, went out to sea. The ship was almost shipwrecked. The only result was they would either die on the sea, all of them, or they could throw Jonah overboard, of which they finally did. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. So what I find interesting about this call for Jonah is that not all the men of God, and today we might say women of God, not all the prophets were treated in the same way. He got a second chance. Most, most, word, or most prophets who proclaimed the word of God, they either obeyed God upon the first call or they died. There's a story in 1 Kings about a king named Jeroboam, one of the Israelite kings. And the story goes that he was visited by a man of God as they're preparing to to do uh, some worship at the temple of Bethel. Bethel was the place where uh, the Israelites worshipped God. And if you remember, Bethel was the place where Jacob had wrestled all night with the stranger. And so um, they built an altar there. They, they had worshipped God there. But now some of the kings had left God and had started worshipping other gods. And they were getting ready to burn incense to some of the other gods. King Jeroboam and some of the others, when this man of God came to Jeroboam and said that God was going to destroy the altar, and within seconds it says that the altar was split in two. Then it says that this prophet told King Jeroboam two things. He said the first, the altar will be destroyed, and the second is that he is not to eat or drink anything while he is in Israel because he is a prophet that has come from Judah. Remember, the whole of Israel now has been divided to two, Judah and Israel. So he has come from Judea to speak these words to the king of Israel. The, the altar is destroyed and he is almost out of the country after delivering that message when there is an old prophet from 
Israel, who has heard about this man of God. And so he sends his servants to go track him down. Just before he is almost out of Israel, back into Judea, where he could eat and drink, he is stopped by the servants of the old prophet from Israel. And the old prophet has sent a word to him that he would like him to come back and to join him. Come and eat and drink with me. And you should do this because I'm a prophet like you too. We're working on the same page here. So come and join me. Even though you're not supposed to eat and drink, you're not going to eat and drink with heathens. You're just going to eat and drink with me, an old prophet of Israel, one of God's prophets. So he is convinced to go back, and he joins the old prophet. And he spends a night of eating and drinking, and uh, they have a grand old time. The next day, he heads out on his way with the donkey that the old prophet has given him. And he doesn't get too far down the road before he is attacked by a lion. And both he and the donkey are killed. God said, do not eat or drink or you will die. And he ate and drank, even if it was with another prophet of God in the land of Israel. So my point here, Jonah's kind of lucky. I mean, he turned God down once and he almost drowned in the sea. Thankfully, he was rescued by the, by the whale. I mean, think about that. Most prophets didn't get a second chance, but Jonah did. So Jonah proclaims the word of God to the city of Nineveh. And the word of God does all the work. This is not about Jonah. This is about God's word and how the people hear God's word, how it, how it changes them, how they begin to realize how the lives that they have been living have not been attributable to God. And so they start to repent. The people all over the city hear the message and they all begin to repent. They all begin to confess their sins and to believe in God. Eventually, the king hears about the message and the king does something remarkable. He begins to repent. He takes off all of his royal clothes and he puts burlap, sackcloth on. And then he sits in a pile of ashes. He does this to symbolize that he too has been following false gods, that he is repenting and he is turning his faith now to the God of Israel. This is found in verses 6 through 9. Let's take a quick read at, at that here. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne. Nothing that I missed there earlier. He stepped away from his throne. What, he's, what it's saying there is he stopped being the king. He stepped away from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent the decree throughout the city, no one, not even an animal, from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways. 
and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Not only does Jonah get a second chance, but God gives Nineveh a second chance. Nineveh was an Assyrian city. It was not part of the kingdom of Israel. They had not believed in God, but God gave them a second chance, and they repented. Now, if you go a little deeper into the story, Jonah begins to get a little upset and angry with God because he's been so forgiving to the Ninevites. Isn't that just like us? God forgave his prophet Jonah. But Jonah the prophet is angry that God would ever forgive the Ninevites. That may not be you, but that certainly has been me. The cause of the repentance is an important one. They see who God is, and they turn to God. And they realized that by coming to God and doing what the prophet had called them to do, repent and to believe, they realized that they had been lost but had now been found by a God who loved them, who forgave them, who gave them second chances. You, may say, you might say that God is a God of second chances. And thankfully for us, that is true too. So this call to discipleship, this call is an important one. And it will cost you. When Jesus calls his disciples, they, they just follow. They follow God's call. Think about that. John the Baptist paid dearly for his call from God. I mean, first of all, he gave up his lifestyle. He gave up what normal people wore for wearing this camel hair clothing attached by a big bulky leather belt. He gave up normal food and instead ate wild honey and locusts. John and his call cost him. It not only cost him his lifestyle, but it cost him his life. The disciples are also called to follow Jesus. And it will be costly for them. Eventually, every one of them will give their lives to the mission of Christ. But when they are called, what I find interesting is that they don't dawdle. They leave their nets. They leave them at once, it says, and they follow Jesus. The disciples are called to follow Jesus, and they do so. They didn't just leave their nets, though. They left businesses behind. They left 
family behind. They left a certain lifestyle behind. All to follow their Savior, their Master, their Rabbi. Jesus called them away from fishing for fish in order to fish for people. Sometimes I wonder if I would be that accommodating. Sometimes I, I think I have not been. I've been too accommodating um, to the culture and to society. I've been too um, allowable to have the culture invade our, our lives, our church, our, ourselves. Fifteen years ago, and I served on the board for Congregational Life in the ELCA, uh, we had a 10-year focus on evangelism, on calling people. And uh, I remember uh, after the 10 years, I, got, I was serving on the board at, towards the end of the 10-year period when the studies came out. What the studies showed was that we, even though we had put in all these efforts and all these programs and all these new ideas, that nothing had changed. We had not evangelized any more people per year than we did beforehand. And in some years, it was actually even less. There was a story that was shared during that time, and I, I've often thought about it, and I have shared it on other times. You may have heard me talk about this before. But it kind of gets to the point of what I'm trying to say about are we too accommodating. There was this group of people who loved to fish, and they loved to fish so much that they formed a club. It was a fishing club, and they met every week for about an hour and a half. It was a, it was a highlight of their week. They would gather together, and they would talk about some of the great fish stories. And sometimes they would even bring some snacks, and oftentimes somebody would sneak in the goldfish. And so at this fishing club, they, they would relay stories of old. Do you remember that one that got away? Or do you remember that trophy, that trophy bass that we caught? Or do you remember that, that fish, that, that muskie that was so large? We'd never seen anything that big before. And so they would tell these stories about their fishing. And sometimes they would talk about some of the new bait that they had uh, that they had purchased and so they'd bring their tackle boxes and they'd show off their new lures and they'd say things like i just can't wait to try this out this is going to be an amazing um, opportunity to go after some walleye and so they they met every single week they talked about fishing every week they brought all their fishing gear that they the fishing poles, the new ones, um, the ones that were historic, they, they brought them all. The one thing that the fishing club never got around to was fishing. Have you ever been a part of a club like that? Is that a story that speaks about who we have been as a church? Have we as a church become too comfortable with the world, with the creature comforts, 
do we really want to fish? Or do we just want to come and be together and talk about fishing? Jesus calls us, and when he calls us, he calls us to actually fish for people. Mission leads us to people, not to a bigger mission project. What I mean here is that we support lots of mission projects. But at the end of those mission projects are people. And that should be our focus. I am always um, grateful for one of our members, Bill Cope, who, who went through some discipleship training several years back and then came to me one Sunday and shared with me his passion for the homeless and that he didn't like that they were that they were dying in the summers from lack of water. And so we do a water drive to support the homeless ministry at Grace Lutheran every summer. We we cover the needs for water. Thousands and thousands of cases of water. And what brings me such joy is that Bill just doesn't talk to me about the water. And he doesn't want to just talk to you about the water, although that's important. What he really loves to talk about are his friends down there that he works with, some of them who used to be homeless. You see, we're not called to fish for a project. We're called to fish for people. We're not called to raise money for the sake of raising money. We're called to use these opportunities to pray for and to be with God's people. This is Jesus' call. Just like the disciples, you and I, have to make up our minds whether we will follow or not. If we will come and do what Jesus did, what he called his disciples to do, to repent and to believe. There is no probationary period in this kind of call. God is not interested in your resume. You don't need to dress up to come to, to, to an interview. None of that. The call is just extended to you because God loves you and accepts you. Now the call can be costly. For the disciples, it required that they abandon their work and their families. We know that Peter was married and he had, he had a mother-in-law. So if you have a mother-in-law, mother you have to be married. And so um, they gave up their jobs their businesses, they left their families in order to follow Jesus. It can be costly. But this is a call that brings such a great reward as Jesus becomes the center of your life. There's also some good news here in this call from Jesus. 
you don't have to get your house in order before you can respond to the call. You don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. You don't have to even be looking for a call for Jesus to call you. And it's okay if you're married, if you're not married, if you have a family, if you don't have a family. It's okay. It's okay that you might have run away from God in the past. And it's okay that you may not know how to follow Jesus. It's not dependent upon you, nor upon your abilities, nor even your efforts. It is dependent upon Jesus because he is the one that calls. And when Jesus calls you, he calls you just as you are. Because he loves you just as you are. Because he accepts you as you are. And that's the good news, friends. That the call that Jesus extends to you is specifically for you. So Jesus is calling. Are you ready to fish for people? 